And I invite you this morning for our scripture reading to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. Let us hear the word of God to us. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law was fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us now turn to the sermon passage for today, which is Psalm 1. I will only be preaching on the first two verses of Psalm 1 this morning. But I would like to read the entire psalm. And, and I do that because I want to make sure you get home before 5 o'clock. Because I have much to say about Psalm 1. Just the first two verses is the sermon text. But let us hear all of the psalm. 
How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Let us pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, this is your word, and it is you speaking to us. May your spirit be pleased to take your word and implant it in our hearts to bring conviction to us of sin, to bring joy to us through faith in Christ, to bring righteous living to us by the work of your Spirit and by our faithful striving to honor you. Lord, teach us, instruct us, work in us, and bring glory to your name, we pray, in our lives. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. The Hebrew title for the book of Psalms means Songs of Praise. These songs, the 150 songs of the book of Psalms, which God has given to us through his prophets, are also usually found in the form of prayers. Psalm 72 in verse 20 says, The prayers of David, son of Jesse, are concluded. Psalms 1 and 2 form for us a doorway of entry into this wonderful portion of God's word and into the presence and the worship of God. Psalms 1 and 2 tell us how we may enter into God's presence even now. They invite us to enter into daily communion and sweet fellowship with the God who made and rules the universe who delights to hear our praises, to answer our prayers, and to pour out upon us his blessings. In Psalm 1, God sets before you a very big and a very monumental fork in the road of your life, a fork that will determine not only how you will live your life, but also what the end result or destiny of your life will be. God here tells us there are only two ways for us to live our lives. Only two different manners of living. Only two paths that we might take in this life. They are the way of man versus the way of God. They are the way of following human wisdom versus the way of following God's wisdom. They are the way of slavery to our flesh, our sinful human passions, 
versus the way of being filled by God's spirit and God's grace and freed from sin's dominion. They are the way of living for our desires and our glory versus living for God's desires and God's glory. God refers to these two ways in verse 6 as the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. But they are already in view in the first two verses of this psalm. Verse 1 describes the path that is guided by fallen and limited human wisdom. Verse 2 describes the path that is guided by God's holy and perfect wisdom. Now, we need to pause and reflect that Psalm 1 does not define how a person becomes wicked or righteous. Though it does show how a person shows, how a person demonstrates that he is wicked or righteous. And we must be very careful not to assume things about this matter that are not true. For the Bible teaches us that all people became wicked through the sin of Adam, our forefather. We were all born with a sinful heart. And we all lived according to the sinful desires of our heart. Conversely, God's word teaches us that a person becomes righteous through the grace of through the gift of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who convicts us of our sins and who changes our heart's desires, causing us to cry out to Jesus for forgiveness of our sins, causing us to cry out to Jesus to deliver us from the condemnation that our sins deserve and from our slavery to sin, to grant us eternal salvation, and to grant us growth in holiness. It is very important that we not fall into the error of thinking that we are righteous in the sight of God because of our own human efforts at obeying God's law. It is not our acts, either before being a Christian or after being a Christian, that make us righteous in the sight of God. Now it is true that Jesus Christ creates in his people a growing hatred of sin and a growing love of righteousness. And it is true that Jesus says that we have never known him as our Savior and Lord if we do not hate sin and if we do not love righteousness. But it is also true that we will never be able to live a sinless life until that day that we are with God in heaven. If we erroneously think that we have made ourselves acceptable to God by our own actions, then we are in very severe danger of failing to see our need of Christ to transform us every day. And if we fail to see this, then we have completely missed the salvation through the righteousness of Christ that the entire Bible from beginning to end holds out to us and that Jesus Christ alone can provide to us. 
And if we erroneously think that we have made ourselves acceptable to God by our actions, there is a second very severe and dangerous error that we are falling into. And it is the danger of self-righteously condemning other people for their sins while we are doing the same thing. We need to realize that Christians, too, are always in danger of falling into the very same sins that unbelievers commit. And we are able to avoid sin only by taking very, paying very careful attention to God's warnings and by daily seeking God's help and grace to evaluate and change all our thinking and our words and our actions so that they would become glorifying to God and by daily, day in and day out, confessing our sins to God and turning away from our sins. God opens the book of Psalms, a book of praise to God and wisdom from God, with an incredible invitation that he gives to everyone, man and woman, boy and girl, young and old, rich and poor, wise and foolish. He gives everyone an invitation to come and experience the great blessings that come from God. And that come from God to the person who is walking in the way of God's wisdom and holiness, who is striving by God's grace to walk in faithfulness to God rather than choosing to walk in the way of man's foolishness and man's wickedness. God begins the psalm with two words, two Hebrew words, ashrei, haish, and these can be translated as, oh, the great blessedness of the man, or, oh, the great happiness of the person. These words mean, oh, the joys, oh, the delights, oh, the great happiness, oh, the incredible favor and blessings from God that come to those who do not follow the way that sinful people have set out before them, but rather who follow the way that their perfectly righteous creator has set out before them. Notice that verse 1 here tells us that the person on God's path, it tells us what the person on God's path does not do. And verse 2 tells us what the person on God's path does do. By doing this, God identifies the sources, He identifies the source of the guidance for following each of these two paths each of these two ways of living. Verse 1 says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Now, God is not telling us that people who do not know God have absolutely no knowledge or understanding of anything in this world. People in this world who do not know God have learned many things about how this world functions and how the people in this world function. They have learned many things and their experiences have 
taught them many things. And they often even have helpful insights and even great knowledge in various fields of study. But God is saying that the people of this world who are not following God, their moral compass is broken. And it doesn't point north. He is saying that this is so because Adam's rebellion against God has fixated all of his descendants' moral compasses on their own self-centered and sinful desires instead of on the holiness and perfection of God. And when they hold their moral compass out, they discover that it always points to themselves instead of pointing to God. And when it comes to seeing the big picture of why we are in this world and what we are called to do with our lives, they do not see it. They are blind to it. They view the world and everything in the world and what we are called to do with our lives, uh, they, they view the world and everything in the world as an accident instead of being created and ruled by God. They often do avoid committing crimes, but they do so to avoid human punishment. They do so for the praise of men. They do so for other very human and self-centered reasons. They see no reason to conclude that any act is more good or more evil than another. They fail to understand that all that imitates God is what is good, and all that is contrary to God is what is evil. And the highest goals they can usually find to live for are pleasure and things and praise, and sometimes the benefit of others. But God has created us to know Him. God has created us to enjoy the highest joy possible, which is fellowship with God now and forever. God has created us to use our God-given talents to love God and bring glory to Him, and to love people and bring blessing to them. These are the goals that will enable us to stand at death's door and on that day to depart from this life without the despair of seeing everything we have lived our lives for suddenly turn to ashes in our minds and in our hearts. God refers to those who do not know him under three terms. The wicked, sinners, and mockers. Wickedness is the opposite of loving God and loving people. Those are the two great commands that God has given us to live by. The wicked, rendered ungodly in some translations, are those who disregard both God's holy commands and the needs of people. The wicked refers to people who do things that harm others or take advantage of others. They think of themselves instead of the needs of others. Now, you will meet many people who do not know God, who do in fact do helpful and kind things for others. The source of this is God's common grace that God places in all people. 
But when people face a very difficult or a very dire situation, when people find themselves in danger, when their reputation is threatened, when their lives are threatened, then what really rules their heart is exposed. It comes out. And it will become evident that what is first in their heart is not a love for God and others, but a love for themselves. But God has called everyone to put him first. And to put others first, ahead of themselves. This is love, but it is divine love. It is not a love that has a human source, but a divine source. And God is the one who creates this love in the hearts of his people. This is what enables God's people to respond with loving attitudes and acts, even toward those who hate them. And who harm them. Now you may say that such acts are impossible. Surely God does not expect us to love those who hate us and harm us. But that is exactly what Jesus Christ is ta has taught us that we are called to do. To love our enemies. It is this kind of divine love that gives evidence that we do truly know God and truly have been transformed by his Holy Spirit. Secondly, the ungodly are called sinners. This means more than that they break God's holy laws. For even the righteous, the people of God, break God's laws daily in thought, word, and deed. The focus here is that the hearts of is that the hearts of sinners, those who reject God and His way, the hearts of sinners are ruled, controlled, dominated, and enslaved by a love for what God has called evil. Whereas God gives us a heart with new desires, a heart that is ruled and controlled and dominated by a love for righteousness, a heart that has been freed by God to daily confess our sins to God and to those we have wronged, and to strive by God's grace to walk in ever-increasing love toward God and individuals. Thirdly, the ungodly are called mockers. They are cynics who doubt everything that God has said. They are scoffers who in the words of 2 Peter 3-4 are scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? They are scorners who scorn the idea that we should choose to obey God rather than following our own evil desires. They are mockers who ridicule those who point out that what they are doing breaks God's holy law, harms other people, and calls forth God's judgment upon them. Notice that God also uses three terms here to describe the manner of living of the wicked. These three words are walk, 
stand, and sit. These three terms are placed in parallel, and they all basically convey the same idea, which is how they conduct their life in these different areas. It appears that these three terms picture a progression to greater participation in sin. Notice also that God addresses three things that guide the lives of the ungodly. These three things focus on what guides their thoughts, their actions, and their associations. If we want to make them easy to remember, we might refer to these three things as advice, actions, and associations of the ungodly, or we might refer to them as the counsel, conduct, and company of the ungodly. Firstly, God warns us to not walk in the advice of the wicked. The focus in this first phrase here is on our thoughts, our way of thinking, our principles and values for living our lives. Where do you get moral advice and counsel from to live your life? How do you form your principles and values for living your life? Now, God is not talking here about directions to the store. And he's not talking about technical advice to fix your computer. No, where do you get the moral advice and counsel that will guide you each day as you make decisions about what is right and what is wrong? And about how you should respond to hurtful and even harmful words and actions of others? Are you alert? to the commercials and billboards that flood us with advice. Advice to be foolish stewards of our money and spend it on things that merely give us bragging rights or enhance our comfort, but also place us under great economic stress and do not enhance our godliness or help us to honor others or help others or honor God? Are you alert to all the moral relativity in our society that can find an excuse to break every law of God and every law of man? Are you alert to the hateful ways that people respond to those who wrong them? When you are wrong, do you respond with anger, bitterness, hatred, ridicule, even violence? That is the advice that comes to you from your flesh, not from God. Or do you, by God's grace, speak the truth in love? As Ephesians 4.15 says, Do you give a gentle answer, as Proverbs 15.1 counsels, do you have the courage to lovingly respond to moral error with God's truth that can change lives? Secondly, God warns all people to not stand in the pathway with sinners. The focus here is on our actions, on our conducts. First, the focus was on what we thought. Now it is on what we do. To stand in the way, the path, the life of sinners means to follow the example of sinners. Do you realize? Do you realize that 
almost everything that we have learned in our life, most of our conduct comes from the example of other people, mostly people that were our parents or our friends when we were young growing up. We picked up most of our behavior from them without even thinking about it. Is, is what they're doing right? Is it wrong? Is, is it a godly example? Is, an ungo- is it an ungodly example? It's just the, what we know that the people around us do. Do we do it simply because they did it? Or have we thought about whether it is God's way? It is easy for us to justify anger when we see others do it, when we see others respond that way. Don't we naturally say, well, everyone does that. If they're angry at us, we get angry at them. Everybody does that. It's easy for us to justify surfing the Internet at work instead of working when we see others do it. If we listen to and accept the grievances of co-workers who feel that they aren't getting paid what they're worth, then it's easy to justify stealing from our employer. All who follow the example of people who do not know God will be able to find a way to justify every sin they want to commit. If we have already accepted the counsel of the wicked, namely that those who hurt us deserve to be hurt, and if we have observed and followed the path of sinners by harming those who have harmed us, our self-righteousness can even grow to the place where we would murder somebody. Do those people who murder someone, do, do, do they admit that they have committed an atrocious act, a terrible sin against God and man? No, they don't. They usually justify their action, even their heinous act of murder. That is the end result of a path of thinking and acting. (laughs) Thirdly, God warns all people to not sit in the company of mockers. The focus here is on identifying with the ungodly in their sinful acts. Now, I do not believe that God is saying that we cannot be friends with people who do not know God. They need Christian friends. They need Christian examples for their lives. They need someone to come alongside them and share God's truth with them, not only in words, but even more so in example and life. But God here warns against participating in and identifying with those who mock and ridicule others and scoff at God. The word translated company here is a participle, which means we can translate it as accompanying, or another way is sitting. Literally, who does not sit in the sitting of scoffers. It pictures participating in what they are doing, completely associating with what they are doing, identifying with their thoughts and words and actions. We use the same phrase today when we talk about a court being in session. The phrase in session literally means that the court is sitting. 
It means that the judges are assembled to render judgment. We have here an ancient picture of people informally gathering to render judgments on other people around them and even on God. The modern equivalent of this is standing around the water cooler at work, participating in gossiping and slandering people, scorning the rules and policies that have been announced, scoffing at the idea that God would hold them accountable for their cruel words and mocking of Christians who speak up for the honor of God and the reputation of fellow workers. Have you usurped the role of God? Have you made yourself a judge of people and even of God? God says to us in James 4, 11 to 12, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters, anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, we do need to be discerning. We do need to point out that God is the one who has the authority to tell people that something is right and something is wrong and that this is right, it is always right, and this is wrong, it is always wrong because God said so. But a critical and judgmental heart on our part towards people will not advance their spiritual well-being or ours. Now this may be viewed here as the final step in this progression depicted by them as walking, then standing, then sitting. And this progression to greater sin and greater hardness of heart and greater participation in and identification with what is evil now reaches its height. Let's review the steps God sets before us. The first step is accepting the counsel of people that agrees with the sinful desires of our heart. We like that. It sounds good. We accept that counsel because it agrees with the way our heart, our sinful heart, thinks. Secondly, uncritically accepting the sinful examples of others as the pattern for us to live our lives by. And thirdly, participating with the ungodly in mocking people and mocking God. Each of these makes it clear that we have more and more placed ourselves on the pathway that does not lead to the celestial city, but to destruction. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, exhorted us in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, saying, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and how difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. It is hard to get off this path that leads to earthly ruin and eternal death. Especially so because everyone started walking on this path from the very time of our conception. Yet, while we live in this world, it is always still possible for us to get off this path and onto the path that leads to moral, spiritual, and eternal life. And that leads to joy 
and God's rich blessings. And God now sets before us the other path in verse 2, which says, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. The righteous man does not follow the counsel and the conduct and the company of the wicked. No, he seeks these things from God and his people. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. Many translations render the Lord's instruction as the law of the Lord. The Hebrew word Torah does refer to God's law, God's commandments, but it refers to a lot more. It refers to all of God's instruction, all God's revelation, all God's word, all the Bible, all the holy scriptures that God has given to us. It refers to all the Old Testament and even to the entire New Testament, even though that has not yet been given. God tells us that his divine instruction to us is the guidance we need to follow the path that leads to life. If we desire to know God and experience the fullness of his presence and the fullness of his favor and blessings, then we must delight in his instruction. We must make it, it our guide for life. When God tells us that the righteous delight in God's instruction and meditate on it constantly, he does not mean that that is all they do with their lives. No, the goal is not merely to know what the Bible says. Because we read that Satan himself knows the Bible better than any of us does. But it doesn't do Satan any good because Satan does not obey it or obey God. No, God means that we may, must make God's instruction to be the advice and the counsel that gives us the principles and values by which we live our lives. God means that we must make his instructions the example for our actions and conduct. God means that we must make his instruction the standard by which we speak words about others that are fair and holy and kind and loving. God means that we must listen to his word as it passes judgment on our thoughts and words and actions. And we must be willing to turn from our sins and by God's grace live our lives to obey and honor God. Here is the door by which we enter into the book of Psalms and into the presence of God to worship and commune with him. We must allow God's word to show us our sins. And by God's grace, we must confess that we are not righteous in the sight of God. We must confess that we are wicked and sinful and mockers for we have attacked others and we have broken God's holy law and scorned people and God. And we must ask God for his forgiveness. And we must place our trust in the only perfectly righteous man, the God-man Jesus Christ, to save us <coughs> and make us one of God's dearly loved children. When Adam rebelled against God by his sin, he and Eve were put out of the Garden of Eden. They were barred from the presence of God. God placed two holy angels with holding flaming swords at the gate of Eden to bar access to the presence and fellowship with the all-holy God. 
our way of access into the presence of God is barred by God's holy angels. We may not enter into God's presence or into fellowship with him unless we go through the two doorposts that these first two psalms set out for us. The way of entrance is first through the law of God, which condemns our sinful hearts and lives. And that is shown to us in Psalm 1. And the way of entrance is secondly through the coming Savior seen in Psalm 2, who has suffered and died for the sins of all who trust in him and all who surrender their lives to him. Only if you are willing to admit to confess, to turn from your sins, and to trust in Christ alone to save you. Can you enter into the presence and fellowship of God? 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, first, and John 14.6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. An entrance into God's presence begins at the very moment that you trust in Christ. Jesus went on in verse 7 to say, If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on you do know him. Through Jesus you may enter the book of Psalms right now. And you may know that when you sing your songs of praise to God, God accepts and delights in your worship. You may know that when you cry out to God for help, just as the psalm writers did, God hears your cry and will pour out his favor and blessings on you, just as he did upon those who wrote these psalms. As Psalm 116 verse 1 says, I love the Lord. Because he has heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. Let us pray. Eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless three in one. We stand before your awesome and glorious and holy presence as we seek to enter with the righteous to give you the worship and glory that are due you. We come confessing that we have not walked in righteousness and we deserve condemnation for our wicked acts. We confess that we have followed the advice of those who harm others instead of the holy counsel you have given to us in your word. We confess that we have followed the examples and actions of those led by their selfish hearts instead of the example of your perfect and holy conduct that you have demonstrated to the children of men. We confess that we have been silent before those who have mocked your glorious person. And we have associated and identified with those who mock what is good and righteous instead of seeking your company and the company of your people. We ask for your mercy and forgiveness and for your grace that we may walk in holiness before you. 
We ask for our thoughts to be renewed, that we may discern what is your good and pleasing and perfect will for us, and that we may set a godly example for those around us, that we may befriend those who do not know you and be a guide for their lives, and that we may have the boldness to speak up for truth and righteousness and your holy name when they are mocked. We pray that you would grant us faith in Christ and that we may demonstrate our faith to all through a life of increasing righteousness and love toward you and all people. All these things we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whom to know is life eternal. Amen.